Game Under Repair podcast. Michael here. This episode is our first of 2022. So welcome to the new year. We're glad that you are joining us. For our episode today, we're going to be start by discussing the results of the Player Impact Program from the PGA Tour. We're then going to recap our 2021 Bunker Boys Anchor Down Winter Shootout. And then we're going to discuss our personal golf goals for 2022. At the end of this episode, we're going to talk a little bit about college football, since it's a little light on golf this time of year, and bowl season is in full swing for college football. If you're a college football fan, you're going to want to hear that conversation. So kick back, enjoy the show. What does PIP stand for, just to make sure we're all on the same page? Player Impact Program. So at this point, my opinion of the Player Impact Program is that it seems like it's a pretty big failure. And I guess to me, the reason why I'm saying that, I'm saying that it's a failure to meet the expectation of the fans. And I think what's happening is that there's a, a disconnect between the fans of golf and the people involved with golf about what we want to see out of the people involved with golf. And I think the PIP is just another example of that. The PIP seemed to be about, at least when they first in it, announced it, it was going to be about growing the game and engaging you know, tour members and fans through social media or through interactions you know, outside of a tournament. Um, and instead, what I think we saw this week is that based on the PIP standings, the unofficial standings that are just rumors right now, is that the PIP is really about just paying the top players more money. And I think we see it you know, time and time again that it's all about just paying paying those top guys. And I, I get it. They The tour needs to. Uh, I think, Nate, based on what you were telling us last last episode about, you know, the threats that the tour is facing with these other these other potential tours, I get why they're, you know, wanting to pay these top players. But this is just a, a really poor way of disguising just funneling money to these top guys. And I think the, the worst part about all of this is, you know, when you look at somebody who I would argue the, the most – you know, influential person in golf Twitter, probably Max Homa, um, doesn't even make the top 10. And once again, that's allegedly because they're not actually going to post the standings, apparently. You know, I don't know how you could... But I would think you would want more guys being exactly like Max Homa. Like, if there was a, a clone or a blueprint of what the PIP should be about, it seems like it should be what Max is doing. So the fact that he's not even in the top 10 of this program, to me, says that it's it's not really working. Or, more specifically that what the fans think the PIP is about is really not what the PIP is about, and it's just about playing the top guys. I think it was definitely rushed. Uh, and I think it was definitely a tool or used to, you know, keep up with the news about all these, all the movement around the uh, breakout tours for sure, just to, you know, put something out there. I know they raised the, the purses for some of the tournaments next year, but I don't think it's doing anybody any good. Like you said, I mean, it's hilarious seeing Max I'm a roast people's swings on t- Twitter. And I, I don't know. I mean, I feel like every average golfer, like men, women, whoever has gotten in on it. And I mean, I know that they have had, they've had categories for this pip, but I mean, I would, I would agree. Like maybe, you know, it should be, you know, what you're raising for charity or what you're donating to a junior player development or volunteering stuff like that. Hospitals visited to say the least, but but yeah, definitely rushed, and who knows? I, I heard, I saw that they're they're gonna have an independent auditor that it, that's going through the PGA Tours like criteria, and it's gonna verify the winner. But which is pretty hilarious because, like you said, it's 
it's definitely it's looking like it's just making these top guys more profitable, more valuable, and maybe it'll lure them to stay around, but who knows? And that's I'm fine with it if that's what it is. I just I just I guess what I hate is I hate as a fan that I actually believe that that wasn't what it is. Right. And like when I first heard about it, I think I got really excited. I was like, wow, this is something new. This is something cool. And I think as it went on, and I think definitely now seeing the results of it, I think what we see is it's just not what we thought it was as fans. Right. And I think, like I said, it's fine. Like I, I agree with the top guys, you know, the Justin Thomases, the Phil Mickelsons, right. They should be getting more money relative to what they are. And like, I get that the PGA, the way that it's structured has challenges giving players you know what they're probably truly worth relative to the pga um and i just think it's like you know i think like i said i think for me the the letdown is in myself for believing that this was something that it wasn't um and you know i think you know this week is just showing that it really is what what it was all along which is just a way to funnel you know several more million dollars you know to the top top golfers you know on the pga tour yeah, I mean, I think the logic behind it makes sense. I think the execution didn't. Obviously, from like a financial business background, it makes sense. The more views that someone can generate, the more revenue that you can kind of dish out. But looking kind of like, for example, how Colin finished 11th and he's missing out, like the purse, that's kind of weird. And how that's executed or funneled out through everyone. That was my only issue with it, really. Yeah, I guess honestly, even even to that point, like, why does it even have to be top ten, right? Like, why why not top twenty, top twenty five, maybe top hundred? Like, I don't. I guess I kind of get why it's like okay, top ten. That's just a nice round number, but it's like, if you really are trying to get people to engage, like, I would assume you need more than ten guys engaging in order to really prop the tour up. But like I said, that's that's if you believe if you believe that it is about player engagement yeah i ever since they announced this and they announced top 10 i kind of thought it wasn't actually about player engagement i think if they would have said you have to reach a minimum of x x engagements through like lay out the criteria whether that's like fifty thousand engagements through youtube twitter like whatever platforms they want to promote the tour on and then have tiers of how much money you could make. So it's not a top 10 or a top 20. It's uh, if you're a tour pro and you get X amount of engagements, that puts you in a range where you can earn X amount of money, like 50 to 100,000 engagements or et cetera, whatever those, I don't know what those categories would be. But I thought with 10, it just like, to me, thinking about social media, Tiger rarely tweets, but when he does, he gets more engagements than probably 10 of Max Homa's tweets or 20 combined. Like it just, when Phil tweets, now Phil uses social media way more than the average pro golfer. So him being number one, that's fine. He does interact with people on Twitter, interacts with normal everyday people sometimes or announcers or um, athletes from other sports and stuff. So I could see him being number one, but like some golfers just like Bryson getting interactions, like they may not post on social media all that often, but when they do, they have such an impact 
and that's part of the program, but also I don't think that's what, I don't know. To me, that's not what I thought the tour was trying to get out of it. I thought they were trying to, they're trying to expand their base because they realize golf's expensive and the average golfer is getting older versus younger. So, but if you're only appealing to the golfers that are, can tweet once and get millions of likes because they're Tiger Woods, I don't think you're, you're not really expanding anything. Right. And I think, I think to that point, I like, I guess I get what you're saying about like, yes, Phil won, but like, if we're just taking it for what it is, like the player impact program, like there probably isn't a player that has a bigger impact than Tiger. So like, if you're just going based on that, like probably Tiger should win every single year. Right. And once again, I think what you're saying, Sam, that I don't think that's what the tour is trying to get out of this program. Um, Cause I think, I think what they're going to run into is right now they have a lot of stars. They're very top heavy, right. With the tour. Um, but they're very old in those stars. Like those guys are getting up there in age, right. Tiger, Phil, you know, some of those guys are getting up there in age. And what I think what we're going to have to find is like, what is the tour going to be like without those mega stars at the top? Right. And like, I personally think a, a model much more like Max, Max, what Max is doing. If they had, you know, a hundred tour guys doing what Max was doing, I think they could probably grow the game more than like what you're saying, than Tiger putting out, you know, a swing video that's going to generate, you know, millions of clicks. Right. And it did. Right. He put out what a 10 second swing video. And I mean, it was the biggest thing in golf probably for the whole year. But like, is that really what's going to grow the game of golf and make it sustainable once guys like Tiger and Phil are out of it? No, probably not. So it's like, what is this program really trying to do? And like, how is the PGA Tour really trying to use this program? And like, I think what all of us are saying is what we thought they were trying to do with it is not what they're trying to do with it. And it it just seems to be... Like it just seems to be laughable right now about how much of a disconnect there is between the tour and between its fans about what they actually want to see out of you know what they're doing. Yeah, I, I think all these points are interesting. I actually just found an article from Morning Consult that kind of goes through all this stuff. And I think that we kind of chimed in more on the social media aspect of it. But in the article, it says, and I'm quoting this, it says the criteria used to determine which players will earn extra cash reportedly includes popularity in Google searches, time on screen during live telecasts, the familiarity and appeal of a player's brand, engagement across social and digital channels, and the amount of media coverage earned over the course of the season. So it's it's adding in a lot of different arrays of things. And to include, they added a chart below that showed the players, their favorability percentage, their net favorability, awareness of social engagement, their social media followers and just their world ranking in golf, which it says that the world ranking in golf is kind of disconnected from popularity. So there's a lot of different things going on with this. And I find it extremely interesting. I just think, I think at least as a first iteration though, uh, okay, at least, and this is another thing too, like, like what you're saying, Audie, with all those factors, I would love to see the tour do two things. One, I would love to see them release PIP standings periodically throughout the year. So you can kind of get a sense of where people are and, and how the movement shakes out throughout the year. And two, I'd actually love to see them like, hey, here's the formula we use and here's the numbers you we plug into it, right? Because it's like, and I think some people would say, well, okay, then players would just game the system. But it's like, that's kind of like, you know, anytime you have a set criteria, like you're going to be better for it, right? Like if I know that we're going and golfing at a course that has really tough greens, right? And I, 
if I spend more time that week leading up to that that round we're going to play working around the greens, I'm going to score better, right? The product that I'm going to put out there during the round of golf is going to be better because I knew what the criteria was to grade it on. And so I, I think that's definitely helpful to see, hey, here's the factors they're considering. But like, I think we need to go a step further and say, hey, okay, this is exactly how it's calculated so that we can start to get a sense of like, all right, this is how it's going to be you know, executed year over year. Right. And to go back to our previous episode, talking about the different subject of uh, tours possible elsewhere from the PGA. Um, in this article, it also states that the player impact program from the PGA tour is formulated to have the attempt by a proposed rival, the premier golf league to lure away several of its most popular players with lucrative offers. It's kind of like a, you tried to stab me, but now I'm swinging back. So it's not for what we thought it was intended for. It literally is doing exactly what I wanted to do by just paying the top golfers who are the most popular. Well, with all those categories, like it is most time on television, which if you're in the top groups, then you're going to be televised more. So it does kind of reward you if you play better, if you have more media appearances because you're playing better or you win a major etc so it it's not necessarily about growing the game it's about keeping your players so that they don't go elsewhere it's um, talent retention it's literally the new york yankees i just i just think like and sam i i agree with all that i think the only caveat i i want to at least or ch- challenge to that is that like a player like tiger no matter where he's ranked if he's playing in a weekend round like he's going to be a featured group he's going to be on tv you're going to see most of his shots so it's like you're definitely going to be skewed towards those top guys. And it's really not like you're really not giving somebody a chance to break into this very easily. Right. You have to be a top player on tour in order to get this. And that's just the period of it. Right. Like there's Max Holma is probably not going to win it the way he is right now. Like even with how much engagement he has, he's probably not going to win it. Yeah, it'd be it'd be nice for them to maybe give everyone like a breakdown of like hey here's the top 10 overall but here's the top 20 from each of our criteria like here's the top 20 social media engagements here's the top 20 people who have been on tv the top 20 who have done media type stuff like top 20 most favorable golfers top 20 like least favorable at least so that i guess golf geeks are People like us who would actually be interested in seeing that and it allows golfers to actually see where they're ranked. And it's like, oh, I'm like top 15 in these three, but social media, I'm out of the top 20. Maybe I can like make a push with my team to to get more social media interaction or or try to do an interview, a couple more interviews, et cetera. Um, I think might be beneficial. I think transparency could only help this whole process, right? The more insight we have into you know, what the standings are and how they're changing and being calculated, I think that's only going to make this whole thing better. Yeah, and speaking of transparency, so we did, we did, we did set up a little bit on our last episode. You know, we were going to have this tournament that we were going to play in. The, the Game Under Repair podcast crew is going to play in. Uh, we're playing in what we call the Bad Winter Shootout, so Bad B-B-A-D. 
Uh, it's an acronym that we use. Uh, BBAD is uh, Bunker Boys Anchor Down. Uh, so Bunker Boys, uh, for most people who don't know, is going to be, that was probably what our original name would have been prior to uh, learning about some unfortunate historical associations with the name Bunker Boys. have since changed it to what you now know as the Game Under Repair podcast. And so, but, however, our golf, we still do the the bad you know, we had the bad championship earlier this year, and then we had the bad winter shootout. So that we just got concluded with that this, you know, this right before 2022 started. So end of 2021. So at the time now, we're actually going to report that we have co-winners of it. Um, so unfortunately, you know, just like for everybody else, 2021 wasn't quite the year you thought. It also, you know, our tournament in 2021 didn't end the way we thought. Uh, we had an unfortunate weather out of our of our final round. We didn't get to conclude, but we are going to report. We have co-champions with Nate Jones and Audie Wise. So Audie and Nate, I know you guys have been on a media tour for the last couple of days, but you know, mind wrapping it up here. Give us some thoughts about tournament and about winning. Yeah, well, I'll start. And Audie did Audie did correct me earlier, and I, I got to say it publicly, but he did go three and one. I think I said at first he went two and one, but I was caught up in all my winning. This weekend, this past week, that I, I thought I was the only one that won three matches, but he did win three matches, and Audie played a played a great uh, a great match against me down the stretch at the on the front nine at Charwood to beat me, I believe three and one. I think he went, I think he went one under in a three hole stretch and put me out. But I will say, uh, I did birdie number ten, which was my last hole twenty twenty one. So I did end my year on a birdie, which is nice, but. Yeah, in the pouring rain, Nate. You got to put that in there. In the pouring yes. rain. In the pouring rain. So smash and drive down the middle, put it above the hole, hit the hit the ten foot putt. So it was a good way to end. But yeah, it, it would have been an interesting back nine if it, the weather was nice. But I guess some highlights. I almost had two hole two hole outs on the first day. Had one to keep the match close against Sam. Ended up winning on, on the last hole in a playoff. And just to say you. You said you almost had two holes. You did have one, though. Yes, yeah. I did have one on 16 at Cobblestone and almost one on number two. It hit the flagstick, so it was a nice par. And I think I actually won that hole versus Mike. Yeah, and then the, the one against Sam on 16, that was to extend the match, right? Like, you had to... You no, had to that, make... if I would have lost that hole, he would have been two up with two to play. So I would have had to one okay. the 17-18, which we tied 17 after both of us had a chance to... When that hole, we but we Sam hit a root. I chunked one from the rough, from the from the side of the hole. So, and then we tied. And then I had a win eighteen. I won eighteen, and then won the putt off. So, it was a. I mean, Sam. Sam made me nervous. Those first, I gave Sam two holes. Hit one OB. Hit two technically OB, and uh, he was crushing the drive. So, um, he was playing some good golf. So I had really had a scramble and. And I would say on some very tough holes back then on on black at Cobblestone, I was able to keep it together and and hit some good shots. And it's and it's pretty funny to see some of the videos we had because there there's one video of me just being distraught at my chip on uh on seven on sixteen, but then I go ahead and hit the go ahead walk it walk in chip from off the green to to take that hole, which was huge. But but yeah, um, it, it was a good week going three and one. I'll 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 take a loss to Audi. That was a good loss, but it was a strong week. I think I just didn't hit the driver very well. But other than that, the short game helped me out. 
Yeah, and I think so. Like you said, Nate, we are po- we are going to be posting some on our social, some of the some of the highlight videos, highs and lows from from this from this tournament here. So um, you'll be on the lookout that on our socials, on our Instagram and and Twitter. So and then, Audie, what about you? What do you any words you want to say as uh, as the co-champion here? Um, well, I got to say, you know, the, the competition was fierce all weekend. And just to remind folks that are listening in, this was a five man double elimination match play tournament over the course of three days. Um, so your, your host, nine Mike Bradley play. there. Nine holes, right? Yeah. Nine holes. Oh, did you say nine holes? I think so. Uh, I, I want to emphasize it's nine holes. Yeah. Nine hole match play per match. And, you know, it, it's kind of crazy that the host, Mike, went 0-2 on day one. But I'll give it to him. He was, he was feeling ill on that day that we didn't know of. So, you know, Mike, you got the excuse there. So next time we get to go, we're going to round it back. Try again. I, I don't – thank you for the excuse, but I'm not, I'm not taking That was – I just – I played terrible golf. You can ask – so you can ask Pat and Nate. We were at the, at the range the day before, and I was showing them a little – training tool that i use and i completely fucked myself out of my golf game i i don't know what it was about what i showed them but i literally lost the ability to hit the ball consistently at that point and uh the training the training tool untrained you i it i don't know if there was like a like a mental i don't know if i had like mental scarring that i didn't know about because of that sound but like holy shit like i have no clue and i to this day, to that, like you can, Pat and I have been in the in the lab the last two days, hidden golf balls, and I I am in a dark place right now. That's all I'll say. I'm I'm climbing out, but it's it's dark. Well, I don't think we knew until middle of the round that you, or at least I didn't, that you'd gone on the range the day before and tried to work on stuff. But we also knew before the round that Pat went and got his driver and woods regrip <laughs> that morning, and I was like, "What are you doing, Pat?" Hey. If you don't expect much, you won't get disappointed. I expected a lot, and I got very disappointed. So, I think I think something I want to highlight too, and this is, I mean, this is like, if you want to talk about the guy who was so close to probably winning it all, so Sam, who was my pick going into it, Sam lost both of his matches and in the final putt off. So our tiebreaker uh, in this case, because he didn't have enough holes to keep playing, was it a putt off on the last on whatever nine you were on if you t- if you were tied at that point. And Sam, in both of his matches uh, that he lost, <laughs> was winning at one point, ended up in a putt-off, and, and lost in the putt-off. So, I mean, Sam, like I said, I, I definitely think you played a lot better than your record shows from, from this past week. Yeah, I would, I would say I probably played the least amount of golf this fall. So I was pretty happy with making it to two putt-offs on the, on the nine. I definitely gave away the match to Nate. Nate made some good shots but i had i had a putt on 17 to steal it if i two putted and i blew it by the hole and three putted and tied the hole with nate to send it to 18 but i could have won the hole with a two putt so that that hurt and i'm gonna put an asterisk next to the putt off on 18 it was too dark i couldn't see so i i I had to hit first um also put an asterisk there as a joke but yeah pat and i's match on the front nine at golden hills just literally went back and forth the whole match like it would be all square pat would be up one then all square i'd go up one or back to all square it was just back and forth the whole time and i think pat won nine to send it to a playoff um so yeah i'll take that and uh 
I had a 325 yard drive on uh, black number one at cobblestone. So that was, that was a good highlight, but I'm hitting the ball better. My irons were going way farther than normal. So that was really throwing me off. Um, especially my wedges, they were going like 25 yards further than I normally hit them. So that was kind of hard under a hundred yards. What is, uh, what'd you guys think of the courses? Like I only, I know I was only out there on the first day due to my illness, but what'd you guys think of between the three courses? What, well, you know, which ones kind of stood out as being the best one for you guys? I hit my personal record, my personal best at Golden Hills, but man, was the putting tough there. They literally had every cup on slopes. It was it was kind of ridiculous. I had on, what is it, six or whatever, the long short par five. I had an eagle 15. putt that was like a 15, 20-footer. I barely tapped it, and it went like 20 feet past the cup, and then Audie hit this ridiculous putt to win it. Or hit a birdie, and then I miss my birdie putt. So we don't talk about those anymore. But you can't just say I make the birdie putt. It's got to be I made like the the thirty foot birdie putt. Dude, the Golden Hill greens are just like they have like unnecessary slopes in them, or at least where they put the flags. Like it's been a while since I played out there where the flags aren't in positions where it's like you have to hit it in this one exact quadrant to have a shot but both courses they were both in pretty good shape though i mean for being the end of december they weren't they weren't in fairly bad shape there was one green one tee box at golden hills that's was rough but that one's always rough because it just has a lot of shade around it it's a narrow tee shot can i guess it can i guess it yeah is it number is it number four um i'm trying to Wait, think five, number five it's a tunnel tee shot and you got to go over like a bunch of junk, and it opens up to the right. Yeah, it's it's number, it's number eleven. Yeah. Uh, oh. Okay. Yeah, it's just okay. it's in a lot of shade, right. so I think the grass just has a hard time growing there. But yeah, they were they were pretty nice. I didn't go out for the charwood round. I was zero and two and started getting sick, kind of like Mike. Um, luckily, it wasn't COVID tested negative, so I stayed in because I knew the rain was coming. Mike, that hole Sam's talking about is the ravine that you can't look down when you're trying to take your cart over. Oh, I know number eleven. Yeah, that's. <laughs> I, all right, you'll hear it here first. If if any of us die early in life, it's going to be on hole number eleven. <laughs> that's that's where that's where somebody's going to die if they die early. So, a rickety bridge over what a 35, 40 foot drop off. That's, There's yeah, a lot of golf balls down there. Hey, man, it's it's still standing. It's it's holding its own, fighting back a little. I will say Golden Hills definitely protects their greens with the greens. <laughs> Everywhere else is pretty much easy play, but uh, so many undulations at Golden Hills. Yeah, I mean, I think for a match play, though, to have a tournament, it made it exciting for sure. I mean, I know we're talking about how hard, difficult the greens were, and I absolutely agree. It was tough sledding out there. And I, I really didn't realize until playing three days in a row. I mean, we played probably at three popular spots around town, Cobblestone, Golden Hills, Charwood. But it made it fun. It was frustrating too, but it did make it fun. And so being able to make a, a par or a birdie, to be able to have the fun and in our tournament style, it made it for, for a good week. The next tournament, hey, we're coming down to Myrtle Beach. So listeners, if you've played in Myrtle Beach, give us your favorite course or which ones you like to play at.
Yeah, so what did you guys... I Yeah, definitely looking forward. I guess what that's going to be, what, late August? Early September? Is that what we're saying right now? I think we should play before then, but if it's if it's that time, yeah. Summer, maybe late summer, we'll, we'll, we'll get back to you guys and get you... Get you some more information on when we're going to do that. So what do you guys think about? So this is our first time doing this, you know, winter shootout, kind of closing out the year. What do you guys think of it? You know, you guys want to do it again next year? You know, what, what's your thoughts on it? No, I, I did think Pat made a great point. I know we, we randomized the first round seedings. And, I guess they weren't seedings, but matchups. And I know it was difficult to play, but... Pat did mention kind of like a, a miniature round robin to basically get a to get your seedings and then play off that. I, I think the matchups were really fair to start, and I, I think we're all close enough where there's not really a super a big advantage. But Pat did make a good point about maybe playing like a mini like maybe aggregate two or three hole match with everybody on the front nine, or you know maybe the first day and then playing off that, whether it's single elimination after that or double. I think technical round robin is everybody plays everybody and then you have a single elimination, but it was a good, it was a good thought. So I think that's something, you know. Yeah. I didn't get a chance to bring down the six, three giant. I think I would have. Yeah. I think I, I, I like that. I mean, yeah, like you said, I like that, uh, you know, suggestion. I think that's probably what we'll try next time. Like, I guess I'm always open to iterating on it. So this is our, I guess our second tournament, you know, second time doing a, a different format. So, you know, I definitely think we'll keep it open. I mean, when we're, we also got to figure out what we're going to do for Myrtle Beach, right? Because that's going to be a little bit longer, probably, of a tournament. So we'll definitely have some options there. So I definitely think we'll keep it interesting. You know, and I, you know, no reason not to make, keep mixing it up, keep it exciting. And so as we uh, wrap up 2021, I guess that's going to lead us right into 2022. Um, and so we're going to talk, you know, next about our golf goals and resolutions. So I guess I'll definitely, like I said, I, no secret right now, I'm in a pretty dark place. But I actually had, you know, I had two relatively lofty goals uh, for myself this year. So I guess the first one, it probably more of a, I would argue, a resolution, not a goal. My goal was to play 20, 25 match or golf rounds this year. So 25 sets of 18 holes. I will allow it to be two sets of nine on different days because I know that's probably going to be a lot of what we play in the summer. But my goal is 25 sets of 18 holes. And then my other goal on this one is. I'm, it's going to be very crazy saying this right now, knowing where my game is at. My other goal is to break 75 this year. I haven't done it yet. I've had several rounds in the 78 so far. I'm going to try to break 75. And I'm going to even go as far as say I'm going to try to break 75 at Cobblestone this year. That's my golf goal, or goals, if you will, kick us off. And and I know that's that's very scary saying it right now. You know, fully transparent. I am in the lab working on trying to hit my pitching wedge over 100 yards again. I don't know what happened, but I completely lost something in my game of golf, and I absolutely cannot swing right now. So, like I said, very dark right now for me, but I'm seeing some pretty bright lights sometime this year. That's my goal. Is that's what I'm aiming for. Yeah, I mean, just going off my, I, I shot my best round this year and shot an 80. So my my number one goal is to break 80 and hit that 7-9. My, uh, one of my goals is, I haven't booked it yet, but I'm going to Hawaii for my honeymoon in May, and I got a day blocked off in Maui to play golf. So that would be a goal to play golf and play golf in Hawaii. I am going to probably rank clubs because it's not worth taking my clubs out there for one day. Also, just playing more, whether it's at the rank range now that i'm in virginia it's i don't have as many months to play with weather but we do have a lot of heated ranges here 
and playing the local like first tee courses. Um, there's a 12 hole course that's like par threes and par fours. Um, and then there's a six hole par three course all within like 20 minutes because the Commonwealth of Virginia is very common golfer and then like overly wealthy golfers for the course flies. So first tee has got really nice facilities and, and courses to play um, and probably try to break my low was 82 and I've shot it like three times. I won't say I'll break 82, but I would love to have a round without a double bogey because as Pat witnessed firsthand, I play really well and then there's just a hole where it like falls apart and then the next hole I'll par and I'll par like two after that. But then it'll just be like the breakdown hole. So eliminating that. I think if you're going to go play in Maui, I think that I want you to make a pact right now that you're going to dress like Dick Vitale does every time he's down in the Maui tournament with the the nice red Hawaiian shirt, get a little the straw hat look, maybe even flip flops. I don't know. Yeah, I'll play in flip flops. Yeah, you know, a little different over there. I'm just saying flip flops, the Hawaiian you know Hawaiian shirt. I think it's going to be a look. I'll get the Hawaiian shirt and maybe a bucket hat. I guess going off of that, my resolutions I guess aren't as lofty. Um, I just want to fix my swing. Um, right now, I think I can strike my irons pretty well, but I want to get a little bit more technical with my swing and have it more technically correct. So I don't want to come inside as much. I want to come over the top and then in. So basically, like, out to in. Just have that swing down. And then not slice the ball 50 yards. I guess I'll, ch- I'll challenge you a little bit on that. What is So, like, if you say fix your swing, like, what's your what's going to be your criteria grading to know that it's quote quote unquote fixed i joke about this but i want to be able to kind of hit the ball straighter or draw and not rely on rely on fading as much i think right now i've been in a good spot where i can kind of manipulate if i want to draw or fade but it's not consistent i i basically want to get to a point where i feel like i'm striking the ball 90 95 percent of the time well which right now it's like a 70 percent I'll put out an adventurous one for you. How about, is it fair to say a goal of yours would be play an entire round of golf without slicing it? Uh, that would be heaven, but we'll, we'll set that as 2023. Oh, come on. That seems in reach, man. You're in, the lab. You're in the lab every day. Pat's close there. I mean, he doesn't like slice it. I know. I think you're yeah. closer than you think. You I think you're closer ball, than you think. But you don't like dead slice. It's like I said earlier, don't set expectations so you don't disappoint yourself. It, it's a mental game, man. It's a mental game. I'll set one for him. My goal is for him to not slice it for an entire round this year. Well, if Pat gets it, I get it too. Because I have the same problem off the tee, off the irons. Are you working on it? That's a real question. I think you're fully bought into the slice. Oh, I'm fully bought into it right now, at least off the tee. I was like, if you're not, I'll put the same challenge out there for you. I'll, I'll rubber stamp it for both of you guys. At least off the tee, that's what I play with. Now, with my irons, I know that can get corrected. Now, you know, transitioning into my 2022, one of my goals is to be a better ball striker just in general, especially with my irons. But to caveat that, the irons I'm playing with aren't made for me. They're hand-me-downs. They're regular shafts. When I need stiff shafts, I need, you know, not the two-degree line up. I need it's just a standard extra stiff or just regular stiff shaft, whatever, so I can play the irons the way I'm supposed to play my irons. I think that's taken right off five to possibly eight shots around for me right now. All right, so are you getting new irons? That is a goal of mine. 
All right. So goal for you is to new irons. New irons. All right. Uh, I've tried a couple out. Callaway's coming out with their 2022s next month. The Rogues, they just sent me an email about them this morning. They look very nice. I'm also considering the Cobra Rad Speeds with the 3D printed backplate. Those aren't bad. Because right now I'm hitting my 7-iron 150. I went into the bays the other day to hit those other irons. And just because of new technology, I'm already gaining 25 yards. And they're going straighter. So that would be awesome to have. But other than ball striking and getting new golf clubs, I just want to play more golf. I want to play more golf with y'all. It's fun. I enjoy it. Y'all make me better. And you're just good company. Now, I, I got to tell a story about Audi, though. And Mike and Sam would a story. Pat wasn't around the boys then. But right when Audi's parents bought that condo in Myrtle Beach, we went down to play golf. I think the course is actually closed now, but we had to take a gondola over, like, this ravine or valley. Waterway Hills. Yes, Waterway Hills. And Audi at that time had a 1,000-pound golf bag. And the dude tried to pick up his bag to put on the lift and probably about broke his back because he said that was the heaviest golf bag he had ever picked up in his life. And I think Audi's bag is a little lighter these days, but uh, that story just, I remember forever. The best part about that whole story is Audi warned the guy and said, hey, I got a really heavy bag. And he goes, oh, it's good. I carry a lot of heavy bags. He tries to pick it up and he goes, what do you have in here, rocks? He about fell over. Oh, man, that was... That was classic. Uh, that was great. Honestly, not even sure. Surprised the gondola even made it over the water. <laughs> yeah, that. Yeah, no kidding. Was that the round when it took forever? Yeah, yeah. No, that's the round. Was that the round with the old people in front of us? Yeah. And we played the front nine in three fucking hours. Three hours it took to play the front nine. And then they got oh out my. in front of us. And oh, my God. I think I shot three over on the back after shooting, like, a 54 on the front. I promise you, I am not the type of person to, like, complain about slow play. You know, I, I get it. Like, a round of golf sometimes takes some time. But, like, holy shit. I, we called, the, we called the, the pro shop twice on these people. Like, it was so, it was so bad. I'm, oh, my gosh. Yeah, a round for the books, for sure. Oh, man. That, every, like, that whole day, everything about that, memorable. To include Pat hitting Mark in the cart on the part. Oh, yeah. Hey, just Pat Pat playing, not not you, Pat, but just Pat big Pat playing golf. That that in itself is is very memorable. <laughs> good time. I appreciate you bringing that up, Nate. That's yeah. awesome. We're we're gonna have a lot a lot of good memories with these with these tournaments and everything. And so I'm saying, yeah, oh yeah, that's I'm I'm hoping we we make some of those some more of those memories that we're sitting around and couple years talking about hey you remember that time we did this at the you know the bad winter shootout so i think that pretty much wraps us up there with our our golf resolutions we're gonna go a little off topic here so you know if you're not a fan of college football feel free to go ahead and step away now we're gonna talk a little bit about bowl season the thing that i wanted to bring up today is more just so for you know a little bit more discussion but it's been a big thing in the limelight of college football within the recent weeks because of bowl season but it's all not all, but big-time players deciding to opt out of bowl games or big-time players deciding to stay in bowl games, i.e. Matt Corral, and getting hurt in those bowl games and possibly hindering their future. I want to know what you guys think about it because it's been a hot topic, and I just think we could have some nice discourse about it. I think players today understand their monetary value in respects to college football as a whole more so than or are more aware 
of their monetary value and how to capitalize off that more so than players from the 80s, 90s, early 2000s. Um, I think there is more monetary value for players now with social media ads, advertisement, all these uh, smaller companies like, I mean, Barstool sponsors people, you got Roback, like all these clothing brands, et cetera. I think players understand that their value is higher. The value of dropping in a draft is so drastic. I know like the value goes up every year and it has to do with like inflation and all this other stuff. But I mean, you, a first round pick in the early 2000s, like a quarterback or something versus a first round pick, like with these extended options on the end of rookie contracts and stuff, like there's so much money to be made or to be lost if you get hurt in not a meaningless bowl game. I don't think bowl games are meaningless because you get extra practices. A lot of younger players play, but bowl games don't affect draft stock. So if you are a player who's projected to go high in the draft, like the bowl game is not going to bump you unless it's like for the college football playoff. It's not going to bump you from like eighth to first or something. But if you tear your ACL, you're going eight second round, which is a lot of money. But that's just kind of my thought that that players understand that a little more. It's probably fair to say though that playing the bowl game is is more. You are, I guess, the risk is more likely that you will could lose draft stock than gain significant draft stock by playing in that last game. Correct. Like one game isn't going to make or break, you know, a top. You know, it's not going to bump you from top 10 to number one. But it certainly can drop you from top, top 10 pretty quickly. Uh, yeah, I think, I guess, so. I guess, Sam, to summarize, are you for it? I, I guess, I know it sounds like you're for it. It sounds like you're for the players being able to make that decision for themselves based on their understanding. So if a, if a player is opting out of the bowl game and they're definitely going to the draft, in my opinion, like, I don't know. They don't owe the school anything else if they were going to declare for the draft. Like, people can say, oh, you owe them playing in the bowl game and stuff. It's like, okay, but if they get hurt, are fans going to pitch in for a GoFundMe to raise like $4 million? Yeah, so I'm, I'm fine with people opting out. Now, if we were in like the playoff or something where you could win a championship and someone opts out, then then I think from an NFL team standpoint, then you got to look kind of look at uh, they didn't even want to try to help their team win a championship. Do we want them on our team to try to win a Super Bowl? I think something that's you know kind of kind of bullshit is like we're holding players to a higher standard than we are coaches, right? Because I think every year we hear about players opting out, and like what's really not talked about is coaches opting out. And like this year, it happened a ton with teams with coaches that were like in the hunt still for playing in the playoffs. So, like, I think, you know, if we're not going to hold coaches to a standard of saying coaches have to finish the season, then I have no problem saying we're not going to hold players to a standard of players having to finish the season. Now, personally, like, would I like to see players playing the whole season? I personally would. I get, you know, I get that the player has to make the right decision for them because of how much money is potentially on the line for them to either gain or lose. And, like, I, I think it should be up to them to make the decision. But I think it's on college football probably as a whole to incentivize players to be playing in the bowl games because they can be a lot of fun. And, like, super biased opinion here, but, like, South Carolina playing UNC, you know, in the Mayo Bowl and winning 
was a lot of fun to watch, right? And, like, had a lot of top players for South Carolina opted out. Like, I know we had some opt-outs and some transfers and things like that, but, like, there was still a lot of core players there that played, and it was very exciting to watch them play. So I'm going to say I, for them having the choice to do it, I personally would wish players would stay and play. Mike, I think you nailed it on the head with the coaches thing. And I wrote a, a paper for my master's thesis about how coaches get a lot more protection than players and players should have the ability to, and this was before they had the free transfer before all that legislation went through. And I think it was 2019, 2020, but I wrote my paper about what is in college football nowadays, where the player gets a free transfer without having to set out a year. And I wrote that based off of what happened with Dan Mullen going to Florida happened with, um, freaking Bobby Petrino back in the day. I mean, just all these coaches just jumping ship, Lane Kiffin, and how it screws the players that they have recruited to go to these schools. And it's like these players are sometimes choosing the coach over the school. And now people – that's a whole other discussion that people want to have. Uh, but I think you hit the nail on the head with the coaches. Champion. I'm not, I'm not going to say yes, but I ain't denying it. I, I mean, it's just, it's just the, the coaches are compensated and they're still allowed to do it. Like players aren't compensated probably relative to what they should be. They, they do have some compensation. So let me not say they're not compensated, but they probably aren't compensated sometimes to their relative value and they have no protections. And like, man, like the Lincoln Riley situation is like, he gave zero shit about leaving Oklahoma because of how much they're offering him where he's going. It's like, I can't blame him for leaving either. Like I like if someone was putting that much money in front of me to go coach somewhere else, like I'd probably do it too. I mean, when you get both of your houses in Oklahoma, five hundred grand over asking price, yeah, I think you you've got the golden ticket somewhere. Yeah, just kind of like to echo what everyone's saying. I think there needs to be a regulation on when coaches can leave, because um, at the end of the day, players are suffering, and I'm fine with them being able to transfer out. It's just not cool when you have people like Lincoln Rally just leaving, which the incentives were there, and it's by all means, if it's there, take it, but do it in a period where it's respectful for everyone. And, side note, we also found out who is the cheesiest of all teams, and I'm not going to state it, but y'all know who. I woke up feeling the cheesiest, coach! <laughs> right, commercials, that for sure. I think we got to put some onus on the NCAA to incentivize making these bowl games like actually mean something. Like, obviously, not all of them are going to be competing for the playoffs and a chance to win a championship. Like, I get that. But there's probably something creative they could do to these other bowl games to make them, you know, more more of an incentive to mean something going into the next year, right? Like, I'm not saying I have the answer offhand, but there's, there's probably something you can do with these bowl games to make them, you know, more impactful for next year to make an incentive for teams to want to play. You you're know, you're saying the Mayo year. bath wasn't enough incentive to win? <laughs> Listen, if if you're, I it might be honestly, maybe every every bowl needs to end in a mayo bath. That's what increasingly more mayo. No, it's just got to end in a bath of whatever the sponsor is for the bowl. The cheese it bowl had cheese its, a bath of cheese its, a bath of mayo. PlayStation bowl, you should dump a bunch of controllers on them. Just here's a bunch of PS five controllers dumped on your head. No, I think those are all good and fair points. And I think, Mike, to yours, it's not up to the NCAA. I don't think we would want them in it anyway. 
No, it'd take 40 years for them to make a decision. Hey, man, we're, we're getting NCAA football back in 20-something-something. Something. You know, I'm, that's all I care about. All right, well, that's our show today. Thanks for everybody who stuck around for our little off-topic off segment. Um, as you can tell, we're very passionate about college football as well as golf. So, once again, thanks for sticking around. Hope you enjoyed.